it's the next level. Curtis, dear boy, come in. Let's take a look at you. You hungry? You did a man's work coming all this way. Please, sit down. You are the first human being to have walked the total length of this train, tail to engine. Did you know that? Well done, bravo. None of your people have ever been here to the engine. I've never been to the tail section. Why not? Too dirty for you? Don't want to rub against the vermin of the tail section? Do you think my station is without its own drawbacks? It's noisy. And it's lonely. Right. Stakes. Plenty of room. This whore to bring you anything you want. Curtis, everyone has their preordained position. And everyone is in their place except you. That's what people in the best place say to people in the worst place. There's not a soul on this train who wouldn't trade places with you. Would you trade places with me? Fuck you. Curtis, dear boy, the fact is we are all stuck inside this blasted train. We are all prisoners in this hunk of metal. Medium rare. And this train is a closed ecosystem. We must always strive for balance. Air, water, food supply, the population must always be kept in balance. For optimum balance, however, there have been times when more radical solutions were required when the population needed to be reduced rather drastically. panelists welcome back to the show i'm mark and i'm steve and i'm daphne and i'm cat so this week we decided to do a movie comparison of the snowpiercer 2013 movie as well as to the tv series that we just did the first season for so we're gonna discuss finer points within the actual movie as well in comparison to the show so with that We'll bring up topics, thoughts, how they compare, and plus its difference within each. So, And with that, we're going to go through our top three, and these are highlights and uh, discussion points within. So if you want to start us off, Daphne, that would be great. My number three is The Secrets That You Keep. Listening to Curtis relay the cannibalism story to Namgoon, where he talks of Gillian saving the baby's life by sacrificing his own arm, then admitting that it was he who killed the baby's mother and that the baby was Edgar, I thought was much more intense from what we saw in the show. It also ties back to the emotion you saw from him when he walks by Edgar's dead corpse. And he also talked about how the train authorities, jackboots, they never really said what they were. But the authorities took all of their stuff so they were left without food or water. So they had no light, no food, no water, no shower. They were pretty much desperate in the back of the train, all of them together. Also, 
Wilford and his big reveal by sharing with Curtis that he'd been working with Gilliam and that they'd been communicating by phone and that the rebellions themselves had all been planned with the intent to reduce the train's population. And I believe his quote was, you need the proper balance of anxiety and fear, chaos and horror. If you don't have it, you have to create it. And I think while Curtis didn't believe him at first that he had been in cahoots with Gilliam, Wilford's joke about holding a woman with both hands made him realize that Wilford was telling the truth. And you could see the heartbreak in his face when he realized that his mentor Gilliam was not who he thought he was. And I tied that into how I feel as a person that sometimes as people, we put people up on pedestals. We disregard or overlook some of those qualities, but then there are sometimes things that are just too big to overlook. And so that all comes crashing down. And I also thought that uh, Yona, who's the clairvoyant, getting a vision and realizing that there are children under the floor manually running the train was a huge reveal in addition to all of the other things wilford explains that the tale has no problem providing children that are the right size which is under the age of five which i found honestly terrifying and gruesome oh definitely (laughs) those are amazing points yeah the reveal the reveal about the when the woman was measuring all the different kids and and I I because I didn't remember that and so seeing that that scene when she's measuring them and the one she was taking was it, to get that then at the end to see it actually happen was uh, was yeah very yeah. very terrifying yeah I agree that that you knew because usually anytime you see anything like that within a movie that that's going to come up later the measuring point I knew that was going to come up later because it's usually a precursor to something later on within the story plot especially with the the one mother that was hiding her child and Tilda Swinton's character just like knew when and gets the kid drags the kid out and takes him out and you know those points always come back and that was very interesting and intriguing within the actual movie itself but to me it was just like any society there is always the oppressed that try to take down the people that are in charge so honestly just like the show it's pretty much the same thing people with power and wealth but the movie shows the the fortitude of those that are within the tale to achieve their goals, to take over and make it theirs, even though they were kind of misled in some respect. You know, it was pretty much orchestrated by Wilford himself. And it's kind of like the whole Scrooge thing. If you ever, you know, a Christmas carol, it's a better way to lower the surplus population. And that's, that was what Wilford was doing within this movie. But obviously, we don't have that within the show. Well, and that's what Gilliam was doing, too. They were truly yes. partners. Exactly. And we didn't see that until the end. When I rewatched it, I didn't notice any connection between the two of them. That Any trigger that would have made me realize that Gilliam and Wilford were working together. Well, they were the most paid actors in the movie. You look at it, John Hurt and Ed Harris. Yeah, that was going to kind of be my point. My first kind of point of discussion was 
that I was really surprised at how they did the credits in this. If you noticed, the movie starts and you get the normal production company and, and all that, and then the the Ben Jun Ho film, and then and then the title card, and then it goes right into like the director of photography or or something like that. And I was like, wait, they're not showing us the stars. Normally, a movie shows you the stars that are in it before you get those kind of back other. Uh, What's the word I'm thinking? People of accolades. Yeah, or just the other the other workers. They're, they're not – I don't know what word I'm searching for here, but just the, the camera operators and those kind of people. You don't you don't usually get those. You don't get producers and all that until after the stars. This one, you don't see the stars until the end, and it did have some big stars in it. You had, like you said, Ed Harris, John Hurt, Chris Evans. You know, Chris Evans, uh, fresh off. I don't know when – if they filmed Snowpiercer before Avengers or, or Captain America – and it this was before after. Winter Soldier. Okay, but but I'm saying what I'm saying is I don't know how long the movie was fished around. Like like it, it did was the movie made before Chris Evans became big, and then suddenly it was oh, able to be released yeah. because Chris Evans what became Chris Evans. You know what I'm saying? True. That's what I I think may have happened. Is this this film may have been in the can and just being shopped around, and nobody wanted to release it until suddenly you realize, wait, we've got Tilda Swinton, we've got Ed Harris, we've got John Hurt, Chris Evans, and this is this is going to be big, and so that's uh, that's what I thought. I wasn't sure, hmm. and it just surprised me the way those credits rolled. Oh yeah, definitely the way it rolled in. Kat, do you have anything or? Yeah, I did. It's, it's funny. Some of a lot of our points I think are going to overlap uh, because the reveal was my number one, but I always pick up funny, weird little details in things like this. And when Daphne had mentioned not seeing some foreshadowing, the one quote that I did pull up was when Chris and Gilliam are in the back tail section, the first time we see them together, and they're talking about Edgar. And he says, uh, you know, he, he, he looks up to you. And Chris says, he shouldn't worship me that way. I'm not the man he thinks I am. And Gilliam says, few of us are. And I think that was the first foreshadow or just little hint that you know and the look on his face that yeah he's not who he's telling him he's not who he is he's not trying to but he is certainly that was the movie showing us that is a great point and i totally missed that (laughs) there were a few of them i think in here (laughs) i mean because that's i see the little tiny things in the background or hand gestures the children with the machines when they replace the parts that have gone extinct well, yeah, even Tilda Swinton was doing that same hand motion is what what I think, because she was doing it, Ed Harris was doing it, and the kid was doing that repetitive kind of hand motion that was what a machine, obviously there was some machine there doing it prior to, and that machine had worn out, and so now he needed a kid to go down there and do this specific hand motion that was, was one of the gears turning, and you saw Tilda Swinton do it, you saw Ed Harris do it, and then you see the kid, the, the kid doing it there at the end. So I, I think that's really a, a little a little thing that was yep. some foreshadowing because we saw Tilda Swinton doing that, like I said, when she was picking the kid, uh, which kid to take. Actually, she was doing it when they were punishing his dad. Oh, is that when, when okay. she was giving the speech yeah. about the, you know, I'm the hat, you're the foot. She yeah, on the, and the hat. His head. And as she was talking, she was doing it. Yeah. Which, again, was one of those little tiny things that's going to come up later that I, mm-hmm. I just love in movies. And you had something else, Daphne. All right. I want to talk about the casting and the characters a bit. Bong Joon-ho has this habit 
of casting actors and actresses that he's worked with in the past in each of his movies. So Song Kang-ho, who played Namgoon Min-soo, had a starring role in both The Host and Parasite. And Go Ah-sung, who played Yona, his daughter, also starred in The Host. In fact, they both pl- yep. they played father and daughter in The Host, which I thought was really interesting. And I looked it up after watching the movie thinking, I know I've seen them before. Oh. The, host, the Host came out in 2006, so it had been quite a while. Um, Tilda Swinton, <laughs> let's just... She is incredible in these creepy roles, yeah. like Mason, and she also played the twin sisters in Okja, and she played a psychotic dance teacher in Suspiria. Those are roles that I think she is really tailored to those intense, crazy, difficult roles where you have to play a character doing really dark and twisted things. And I think she does it quite well. And I also thought um, Alison Pill as the teacher brought a few moments of levity. I thought she was over the top, cheery, happy, pregnant, you know, teacher. And the kids were all singing. What happens when the engine stops? We all freeze and die. And I was just like, you would never hear that in a classroom. (laughs) It blew me away. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's just another version of the wheels bus go, uh, on the bus go round <laughs> yes, and round, you know. Exactly. And of course, she was she was on Picard also uh, just recently. Yeah, she had a a role there. But yeah, that whole scene in is just super creepy, and that's one of the things where they really played up the kind of god worshiping of Wilford even more in the movie. I mean, there's a little bit, I mean, it's in the show for sure Mm -hmm. that people regard him as very godlike, but in the movie, it's like way over the top Messiah. Cause like they're doing those hand gestures. They're singing those songs. They've got that callback thing where she says something and they repeat it and they were, and they were, they've got a call and response thing going, which is just like in churches and it's uh, it that whole scene was just really creepy of how those kids were being, you know, trained and uh, tailored up uh, with this worshiping yeah. of of uh, Wilford. And then, of course, the I had totally forgotten about the guns thing The I had totally forgotten about the bullets. Yeah. And it wasn't until uh, he sees it or he said he saw something and, and I went, oh, they've got guns. Uh, yeah. When the guy says there's not all things are extinct, not all the things you think are extinct are extinct and he shows in the bullet and you realize that, Oh wait, they've got guns. And so, yeah, that scene was super, super creepy. Yeah, definitely. Well, and even when we're talking about Tilda Swinson, she loves that song. She's so excited. She turns to him and tells Chris what a wonderful song it is. The kids really remind (laughs) me of like something that you would see in like the Stepford wives, like this very robotic, like they've almost been lobotomized to live in this strange world. Where they're all happy and singing. Well, it's the fact that they worship Wilford, just like what Steve was stating, and and the fact that they tr- tr- treat him. And I think he himself thinks himself of as like a deity. You know, he's out there. He's godlike, and he has created this small world, as it were. You know, I'm, I don't. Maybe that's their song as they're singing it. It's their own version of a small world. Yeah, it is. It, and you got to remember, these children are all true. Uh, trained babies. 
like they're calling them. Correct. They've known nothing else. They've known nothing That's else. That's all they know is that world. Exactly. And they're up in the front. Mm-hmm. So they're living the life of luxury. Why wouldn't they think that was a great song? Why wouldn't they worship him? You know, that's, he is God. Let them eat cockroach bars or somebody's yeah, finger no. or something. Who knows? But, yeah. They don't even know that's happening. They can't even envision what's I going on in the tail, except that they're all lazy and sleep all day, like the one bar, child said. That's what yeah. I call them, bug bars. I loved the look on her face. She- she thought she was going to eat the sushi, and then it's like, no, you're going to eat this. And it just <laughs> the, yeah, looks the so protein bars. disgusting. It's nasty. Okay, have you guys ever had Knox blocks? I oh, saw no? them and oh, heard of them. But no. <laughs> it's exactly like Knox blocks. It's like jello with extra gelatin in it, so they're all thick and wiggly like that. Yeah, I've never had they're that. They're really delicious. I'm not in not a hurry like to go out and get one, but... either. <laughs> 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 I'll make some for you. Oh, see, that's what <laughs> happens when you live on a farm, people. <laughs> oh, that's that's what happens when you live in the Midwest. You get casseroles and Knox blocks. Well, the only added point that I would have, because Daphne already went over through with the actors, you know, the only thing I'd add on with the actors would be Tilda Swinton is well known as being so unique and you have to love her for who she is. And I looked to her as our female David Bowie and love mm. how she just represents so many mysterious roles within film. She has that air of creepiness to her that works in so many ways, no matter what character she plays. And that could go all the way down to Constantine when she played Gabriel. And a lot of Have you were- ever seen her when she's in a movie though? Where she is dressed and made up like a regular person. Oh, yeah. It's a double take to see that it's her. Yeah. She's a great actress. Yeah. But yeah, she that's her wheelhouse is those unique, creepy, Correct. out there characters. The, the only other thing I could add to everything that Daphne had stated would be the cinematography within the actual movie itself. I, I thought it was completely amazing. But then again, in comparison to the show, the show has its own limited budget based on being a TV series. Whereas this was a movie. This was something that had large backing. So they had a lot to put into this. And I think it had a really great budget based loosely on basically a French trade paperback of a comic book from the early eighties. You know, if it wasn't for the film, the show wouldn't have been, you know, Right. And I wonder whose pet project that was. Someone had to love that French graphic novel enough to turn it into a movie and really work hard to make it happen. Yeah. Because it did not, when it came out, it was not well received. It was forgotten pretty quickly. And so was the movie, too. The the, the movie came out and uh, I'm seeing dates of 2013. I remember when it came out on... Blu-ray and DVD because I actually saw that and I saw advertisements for it. But a lot of people are stating or they put it online that it came out in 2014. It was actually 2013 when it came out. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't get a, a lot of response because I, I didn't. I didn't learn about it until I bought it on disc and somebody just told me, "Oh, this is great. It's got great action fight scenes in it." Uh, and so I was like, "Okay, it's Chris Evans." And so I was like, "Okay, Captain America. I'll get it." Um, <laughs> I didn't but- even understand that that was Chris Evans. Really? He, yeah. was new, he was new on the scene, but he looked nothing like oh, that yeah, first he's Captain got the, America. And I was like, who? He's got the he, full I mean, beard great. and he's wearing that that, toque, that toboggan thing for most of the movie. And he doesn't talk like Captain America. He uh, He's definitely not 
you see no muscles, you mm-hmm. know, nothing. Uh, that's not, why I think, yeah. yeah, that's why I think it was, I, I wonder if it was actually filmed, you know, a couple of years before all of that is what I, is what I wonder. I wonder if, I don't know that they could have just, cause he's in such heavy clothing. They could have just downplayed that. You just couldn't see all that, but yeah. The first Captain America had been filmed and was out already when this movie was. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they said, yeah, I think Mark had it in the notes that it was, it, it was uh, just before winter soldier. But I, like I said, I don't know how long it was. It was in the can before Correct. it got released. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not like he just came off a not another teen movie where he was stuck there with the whipped cream around his crotch and his nipple. <laughs> if wow. you ladies remember that, I that's no, Mark, I, I don't. So it's interesting that you do. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm pretty sure some of our female listeners will be out there going, "I got to get that movie now." <laughs> yeah, w- which one was it, Mark? Not another teen movie. Okay. <laughs> He had actually already filmed Captain America, the first Avenger, and the Avengers. It looks like. Okay. Yeah, by the time. Yeah, yeah. And I, if I remember correctly, I read somewhere that they had trouble trying to hide his mm, physique okay. while making this movie. <laughs> That's why that all the loose clothing. Then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure, because you couldn't be in the tail section and be ripped. No. Yeah. Well, and that's that's happen. another thing that's, that's not the seventeen difference. years after it all yeah. happens. The difference between between the the show and the movie when she lists out the different classes, she says first class economy tail. That was it. Yeah. That was their three classes of people. Whereas in the show, we've got first class, second class economy or, or third class, and then the tail. So we actually had four. So it's a little different. Of course, the the movie is taking place you know, 18, 18 years, years yeah. into the voyage, whereas our show is only seven years into the voyage. So maybe you know the, the population gets cut enough to where they do start eliminating some of those classes at that point. Hmm. Sure, like Mason said, it's a fine balance you have to mm-hmm. manage. Yeah, and that that's you know, they do the same thing in the show where they've get, they've got this balance. It's got to be a perfect balance of everything, hmm. order. They say in the show. Well, and as far as cinematography, because that was one of my points for a TV series, they've done such a great job at making it look like a movie. I mean, it's it's more current and it's not as gritty as the the first movie. But it, the cinematography for TV is so good. I mean, it literally is like a 10-hour movie for me. Yeah. One of the things I really liked, one of the scenes that stand out to me, stands out to me is when Andrew was taking the torch from Chan, when they yelled that they need fire, the little kid who stole the matches or took the matches lights the torch and starts running. And then Andrew, whose son had been taken by Mason and her cronies... He starts running, he takes the torch, and then Gray is supposed to take the torch, and Andrew doesn't want to let it go. But it was so dark, and all you could see were just these shadows with the fire, and then all at the end, they all appeared, and they had the the torches. To me, that was just really impactful. Yeah, and I think I read I read in the, the trivia, the IMDb trivia, that scene, that was all the light they had for that scene was just that torch. They didn't add any extra light wow. for it. And so that's why it is so dark and it's just that torch running through and you can just see the faces of the whoever's holding it. And uh, yeah, that, that was that whole darkness scene when they turn the lights out and the guys have got to fight and you see the night vision. It was really, really good. See, and that, that reminds me of uh, the fight they have in... Mm-hmm. The dark car? Night car. 
And uh, there are several of them like that that are very much like the panels in the book. All the scenes outside hmm. when you see snow, um, when you see the train from the outside, look very much like the graphic novel. So there are yeah. parallels in there. They did the story in the movie is much closer to the original text. More grittier, in a sense, based upon visuals in comparison from my understanding. The show is a little bit more of polished, but also it's also in the very beginning of the journey of this train. Whereas in the movie, it's at its end. So it's gotten its deterioration. Look at the in between the cars with the gates and everything. They don't have that luxurious door that shuts like a, a Star Trek shoo, shoo, door. Which, and it just does that thing, you know? And whereas they have these like minor gates and on top of that, the, the, the brakemen, if you want to call them that, but people who are in charge or the boots that are there, they don't have as much as far as gear in comparison to what's in the actual show itself. You know, uh, that also leads me to the comparison from, you know, the movie to the show where, you know, in the show they use the elements outside the train but the, so did the movie but the movie was a little bit more thorough though in my thought in the sense of when they stuck the guy's arm out but there was like this whole process of sealing it up with some sort of uh bushing mm -hmm. so that nothing came out and it was just and they had it narrowed down to a timing of how long and it, and she until the swins character is like oh how much more time 48 seconds well, I'll just continue yeah. on <laughs> Yeah. I love that. And yeah, and and the fact that they it it's still used the same way as what Daphne and I were speaking about one of the episodes that we podcasted about how the elements outside became more of like a torture and what Steve and I said how it was almost used as like a uh their weapon. It's like a weapon. It, well, not just a weapon, but almost like as a sacrifice to the train itself. But they're also using it to discipline and torture and kill, obviously. One thing that I noticed was on the show, I, one thing that has struck me is that inside the cars looks so much bigger than what I think it should. But in the movie, it yeah. looked exactly like what I'm expecting for because I've been inside a train before, a, an Amtrak train. They're not as big as what it shows on the show. The width is just not that wide. The movie for <laughs> sure made it really look like a train, like one of our type of trains. Whereas the show, it's almost like there's levels that each car has two or three levels, uh, tiers, yeah, in like it. That. And so, except for that aquarium car, it it all looks very much like a regular Amtrak train or, or train that you would see nowadays. So I, I think. Yeah, for sure. That was a big change they did for the for the TV show was they have the there's almost like a crawl space underneath. Whereas in the movie, you had the kids working down there, but the crawl space underneath is like the whole length of the train. And there's different mm -hmm. people that are doing work down there. So well, and we we do have passenger trains like that that have two levels. Oh, is OK. Yeah. And then if you think about it, even large buildings have a bottom level that have your mechanics of how things work your plumbing your well and, and years ago the really big airplanes even had like first class was a you would walk up a stairwell there was an exactly. actual second level on That's some of those what some planes. of the passenger trains are like 
Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. When you say that, it might reminds me of Snake on the Plane. <laughs> When I had to go upstairs, remember? <laughs> I, I don't think I've actually ever seen that movie, but I, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Those older, those bigger <laughs> planes used to, there used to be planes that were big, were so big that they had uh, two levels. So, yeah. Sure. It makes me, that was first yeah. class. It makes me think of like that a double decker class. bus. Yes. Like that. Yeah. But it's not open air. Right. You just couldn't do that. Right. Not, not in this apocalypse. <laughs> Although, if you think about it, they were counting how long the arm had to be outside. In the show, it seemed like it could only be outside for a very short period of time and it was going to be, like, dead. But on the movie, mm-hmm. it looked like it was taking longer, which also made me think, hmm, maybe it's not as cold as what they think it is outside. I think that was the first hint at it. Because yeah. as cold as things are, I mean, in reality, it still would have frozen faster than that. Yeah. But I think it was still... Realistic would have been it froze right away. Yeah. But they did mm-hmm. it that way in the movie to give us that hint at things are warming. Yes. It's not yeah. as cold as it used yes. to be. Yep. The ice age is almost and it, over. But ha- also having your arm <laughs> outside going as the train's going so fast would also cause it to freeze faster as well. Exactly. But it, immediately. Because yeah. yeah. of the speeds. Yeah. Stick your hand out of a, a moving vehicle. It's always cooler. No, thank you. <laughs> Never again. Never again. Right? <laughs> Never again. When you know, once it's frozen, you don't feel anything. So it wouldn't be that painful. In reality. I had toes freeze, so you can't feel it once it's it's done. So even when they like smash his arm, it wouldn't be I that still much. went so bad, even though we saw it in the show and Josie and yeah. everything. I yeah. still was just wincing at that because it just seems so barbaric. And primitive. Yeah, I did this the whole time, too. And the look on that actor's face, the way he played that was great. Ewan Bremner was also in Train Spotting. He played Spot in Train Spotting, and mm-hmm. he was so fantastic in that movie. But this role is not nothing like that, and I feel like he did such a, uh, an amazing job, like especially his face and mannerisms reacting to the things that were happening. I think he actually is one of the highlights of the movie because of the way that he played his character. And the agility based upon what he could do, even without that yeah. arm, too. That that was amazing to me. And to think about, it's like if you watch the war scene when they come in with the battering ram going through across cars and everything and how they planned and they were very strategic, basically kind of like what, Andre was doing during the season. To me, I'm like, well, this is all basically history repeats itself. They're still looking at yet another rebellion, another revolt, them still trying to take down this train and take it over. And apparently Wolford knew it all this time. And, you know, and the similarities too within the, the movie to the show with the way they use the Wolford W logo and Daphne, you actually, you and I spoke about this. <laughs> yeah. It looks like the WordPress logo that's out there, the big W. Uh, I always think back to Aliens and Alien with Waylon Yutani and just how that looks like that big emblem. But in this case, they they have that big steel logo in itself. Uh, it, it's still there. And it's still praising the works of Wolford, kind of like Waylon Utani, and and definitely, I'm not saying definitely, but WordPress, but in the sense that it's a logo that's very fierce in your face, and it's meant to be there for everybody to remember. It's also the exact logo they use in the book. Awesome. So yeah, if if, uh, listeners, if you don't know, Kat actually has read 
some of the book that came out that the the show and the movie was based on. So it's so good. She has a little bit more information, insider information. I had to order it. I would I would impress <laughs> you all and tell you that I read it in French because I took five years of French, but I don't speak French. <laughs> I just took it. I was there in class. <laughs> You showed up. I did. I got a grade for showing up. I didn't get extra credit, but I think everything just looks so industrial. Like it was so dark and you it looked used, it looked broken down, but not broken, but it just had that look to it. Even the drawers, too, look very different in comparison to the show. I think you had that in your notes, Daphne. I'm sorry if I took that. But it basically, yeah, they look, there's a big comparison and difference. But I also think that has to do with the fact of years and difference. You know, the I thought it was three years within the show. It was like the first three years. I could be wrong. But you guys are saying it was seven. Yeah, it's but seven years. still... 18 years in comparison to seven years is a big difference altogether. It's 11 years. And I'm pretty sure that, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how math works. Generation. Yeah. 2031. Um, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it does. Yeah, it's like, one and well, one. Hold on, I got to my One of the biggest differences <laughs> is the engine car. The engine car is very different in the movie than in the TV oh, show. Definitely. In the TV show, it looks like an actual engine car where it's got dials and, and levers and screens more industrial and yeah and it looks like an actual train kind of piloting you know or, or almost like a cockpit for an airplane and whereas the engine car that we saw in the movie is extremely different it's it almost looks like a living thing in the way that it was working and then they had of course then we find out the kids are down there doing some of those those levers and, and things. So yeah, the engine car was very, very different between the movie and the TV show. Well, and with the video in the education portion, it talks about how even from the time he was a child, he wanted to live on a train and that's how the train was built to start with before all of this happened. It was adapted. So his, in the movie, it's gotta be much more lavish right down to that robe he's wearing. The one thing that I loved about it in the movie, the translators. Oh, yeah. You don't see that in the show, but they have those individual kind of like Star Trek style translators. But what I had watched, they didn't have any subtitles or anything. So I pretty much was relying on the translator to hear the difference between uh, what was going on. And you would think if you spent enough times in the drawer you would have learned all these languages or something. But plus, Cronall is still a factor on that train. 18 years later, it's an issue. And the fact that you have addicts there and the fact that they get those two people involved, it's Those drawers did not look as lavish as they do on the show. On the show, (laughs) it it almost looks like a bed, right? Like they've got something comfortable to lay on and... Well, yeah, they're and they're white, and they got all those the wires connecting them, and, and I think the drawers in the in the movie are much simpler. Well, than, and the drawers than, in the movie mm-hmm. are much later, so who knows if all? I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's not as simple as that technology didn't survive. I think in the movie it just didn't exist. But if you think about it, eleven years later, how would they replace hoses? How would they do all of that? But yeah. Mark, back yeah, then on the series, they would all be able to speak the same language because that's what they're getting in the drawers, right? Yes. Right. They're at school. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just don't think. Yeah, I think it just wasn't explored. You know, the movie just doesn't expand upon the things like the TV show had a chance to expand upon. Good point. The TV show had ten hours, and the movie had two, and the technology when it was done was a little different. So. Yeah, because we're talking this was the movie was twenty thirteen. Now we're in twenty twenty, and it was the show was probably filmed in twenty nineteen. I like, really. too, that they didn't show us really a night car, but there were two cars that I feel like kind of got combined into what is the night car. They had that nice yeah. little place with the bar, and, and it looked very glamorous. And then they also had the party car where everyone was raving. I feel like those kind of got combined into what the night car is a little bit. Sure. Well, yeah, no, we can't I, forget I, I the had the same. Car. I definitely had the same sense. When they showed the bar car and then the party, that there was definitely, they had kind of meshed that into what the night car would become. And the beauty parlor, Kat. Hmm. What did you think of the beauty parlor? Uh, well, let me see. <laughs> Look at how adorned my COVID uh, style is. I Maybe, I don't know. It's something I haven't seen for a while, so it is science fiction. <laughs> it was very lavish, but they had like the gold robes and they were all like, everyone had a gold robe on. They were all being pampered, and it was a lineup of these hair dryers, and it... Well, and that's what he would have put in a train that he wanted to live in and have people live in. And he built that. That's the thing. It it explains that he built that before any of this happened, because he wanted to live in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't something he quick put together or had time to. That was his train already. Yeah. Yeah, he was already planning on having a world, a train that would run the length of the world and would, would, yeah, travel each year. Uh, So, yeah, I I think definitely that the movie tells us that that's something the TV show doesn't really establish. It kind of establishes it a little bit that that his idea was to have just a, 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 you know, a train that all of his friends could party on. But then uh, Melanie saw it as an arc to for civilization to survive. So, yeah, that was that would have been the connection. And I really love Mm. the video that talked about Wilford in that education train. That we didn't get in the series either. Mm-hmm. And that was just, you know, it's Hollywood's trick of giving us a whole chunk of information at one time. Yeah. But that was really good. And some of that could have been put in the series. Would have explained We more. may see it in the next season of the series. This is true. We'll see it played out instead of in a video. I have a bunch of questions that I hope Hopefully. that maybe someday they'll show us on the series. And <laughs> let's call Sean Bean. See what he has to say. <laughs> I got his number. Just a minute. <laughs> I'm not really a no fan of those of, sh- of the episodes on shows where they do a flashback. Like that's just not my thing. But on this show, I am totally in for a flashback. I want to see mm-hmm. how the tailies. I want to see footage. I want to see them getting on the train. Like I want to see the chaos that happened when they were getting on. Right. We had a we had a little tiny piece. Of yeah. That. Yes, you in the want beginning. more than more than that. Well, like, and I want to see like how they talked yeah, about a it a little bit. bit in the movie where the cannibalism lasted for. It sounds like the cannibalism lasted for only a few months before that whole cockroach bug bar thing was set up to give them the protein bars. And that's the kind of stuff I wanted to see in the series. Is how do those negotiations go? How did they? How did they decide? You know, how did they count the tailies? How did they know who was there? How do they know? Like, how did how did Zara, how did she find out that, hey, there was openings in the night car and they would let her move up if she would work in the night car? 
you know, how do they negotiate for the sanitation workers and those yeah. those kind of There's things? There's a lot of questions like that, too, Steve, that I'd like to know the answer to, just because I'm curious as to mm -hmm. how it went down, how it all played out to get to where they are. Maybe you need to get all the books. Then. I think I might need to. Fill in a few books. <laughs> I think I might need to. No spoilers. <laughs> Well, that's a good recommendation to all our listeners out there. Go on Amazon Prime, go order yourselves the trade paperbacks, and Kat knows where they are if she wants to mention them. And I had that for the last podcast. I had a whole graphic with that. We can put it on the Facebook page because it shows the timeline of each one's who. Excellent. Details, okay. all the details. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And you can actually, Mark, you could put the links to Amazon in your description. My notes. Yeah. I could do it in the notes, so if you people and you listeners are out there want to, you could go check out those show notes. They'll, they'll all be there. The links are there. And I highly recommend you ordering those books as well. So with that, that was our uh, short comparison review of the movie Snowpiercer from 2013 TV show, the first season. And we got a little bit of feedback. And Steve, if you will, could you read our feedback from... I absolutely would read our feedback for Brian, my nephew. I have not listened to your episode on the season finale yet. I like the direction the show is going. The one thing I did not like at all was that terrible CGI train with the supply train hooking up to the back of the main train. It just looked terrible. Would have been much better to go back to the cartoon transitioning to real life. I think that was a highlight of the first episode, and then we didn't see it again. I, I agree. I would have liked to have seen the cartoon version of it, but I, I, I was okay with the CGI, and I, I messaged him that and told him that. We're <laughs> same here. I, I've, same, <laughs> a little bit of a snippet, but if they did a live action flashback for like maybe five minutes, it'd been okay. But I don't think we need a whole full episode based upon that whole description yeah. of what happened, you know? It reminded me too, that, that section that he's talking about, reminded me of a true train set where you'd watch two of them come together on one little thing and you flip the little switch. And mm -hmm. That's what the CGI reminded me of. Yeah. Didn't need that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So for all the listeners that are wondering what's coming up next on Panels to Pixels, well, we know that many people will be podcasting on the Umbrella Academy now that the show is coming back for its second season. Steve and I will be doing a full season one review as a whole next week. So we'll leave a post on our Facebook page and you guys can comment all you like. If you could send any feedback, if you've already watched the season, we'll read it on the next episode after we do our review. We'll also recommend that listeners listen to our friends that do their podcasts on the show as well, because not only are we doing it, and Steve, you, you added in earlier if you want to take over about our friends and yeah. what you said to me, which was pretty funny, but it's fun too nonetheless. I, I really enjoy the fact that we've, we're going to have three different podcasts that are all, we're all friends. We all know each other. Uh, we Some of us have met in real life. Some of us have definitely talked, but uh, yeah, for all of our listeners out there, go check out TV Podcast Industries and uh, Strange Indeed on the Podcastica Network. They will both be covering uh, the Umbrella Academy Season 2, and more than likely you'll get to hear my voice as I uh, send in uh, initial thought v uh, voicemails to TV Podcast Industries because they uh, they have a much more shorter release than we do they'll be out a lot quicker in the week and then uh, i'll send some second thoughts to strange indeed and then of course you'll get the deep dive from steve on uh, panels to pixels for the umbrella academy season two deep dive from yep, steve definitely. that needs to be your next podcast <laughs> deep dive <laughs> deep dive with steve <laughs> <laughs> 
So with that, we're going to move on to comic book news. So a lot of you listeners probably are aware and you are fans of comics and and all media-based stuff, especially good. Otherwise, other But really, how much comic podcast. stuff is really at Comic-Con anymore? Come on. Not let's really. Be, it's let's all media-based. That's why I said it's media-based. <laughs> I, I remember. I can I can say this because I'm old enough. I remember going to the San Diego Comic-Con when it actually was about comics. Comics. When, you know, <laughs> yeah. the big-time panel that we went to was the guys that did the – they did the special effects for The Terminator, the first movie. Okay, not the second, not one. the second, the first, one. <laughs> the first one uh, had those guys. I remember going to to see, yeah, and actually getting comics at the San Diego Comic Con. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, well, sorry, I interrupted we you. Know. No, it's okay. But you had, you, you, you had to make that point. Yeah, it is I had very to vent, true. I had to vent for a minute about the not the <laughs> lack of comics, comic stuff at the Comic Con. Yeah, <laughs> that is very true. But as we all know, San Diego Comic Con at home. Because of COVID-19, obviously, everybody had to do their live feed through camera, Zoom, and whatnot at home. So there was so many things to talk about. So I believe Robert Kirkman had a nice panel unto himself, which I'll start off because Robert had a lot of interesting. He basically mentioned his new comic book, which came out recently, which is called Firepower, and that's his new offspring from his mind and then also gave us the information that the walking dead will be re-released in color issue by issue coming this october so you can get that now in color and it's going to be various different uh artists that will be colorizing and doing things for the covers so it's going to be a little bit different from the original release plus you'll have a lot of original thoughts from Robert at the very end of the comic because these are things that might have happened or could have happened if he left them in. But these are possibilities. So he talks about that. So I suggest actually watching the YouTube channels, San Diego Comic-Con at home and seeing that. He also talks about Oblivion Song's 25th issue and it's out. The movie is still in the air, but they still want to put it out soon. And also Guardians of the Globe which is an offspring or offshoot of Invincible. So it's based on certain characters within Invincible, and that's another Robert Kirkman image comic book that came out. But the best part is you have cast members of The Walking Dead, past and present, that will do voices. Ross Marquand, Lauren Cohan, Michael Cutlets, Lenny James, Chad Coleman, and Sonequa Martin-Green. So we all have that to look forward to because we all know those voices when you hear them. You know, obviously, Sonequa Martin-Green's on Star Trek Discovery. Michael Cutlets, well, he's behind the scenes nowadays. But you have all the other actors that we already know currently that are still on either Fear the Walking Dead or The Walking Dead itself. So that's something also to look forward to. I love the idea. And I already saw a little bit of the animation that's going out for that particular that cartoon and i i'm really interested in seeing that and then also you had the uh the walking dead panel we all discussed and we could probably still complain about it because we're not getting walking dead until october 4th yep. i believe <laughs> and then fear the walking dead's not coming out until the 11th oh, damn. so and i got that information from jen alfman this afternoon because i was like i think i missed something so i messaged her and she goes no, it's the 11th mark. I'm like, oh, geez. I was like, I gotta wait that long? Yes, you do. So, 
and then there's uh, there were other things too that are out there there uh they did uh actually just to give you a little bit of information sci-fi has an uh, an original documentary of todd mcfarlane coming out and that's coming out on july 25th which is actually the night we're recording but you could actually find it in reruns or on your dvr depending on and i'm pretty sure they'll put it on netflix or youtube eventually and and speaking of comic talk news or kind of comic tv show news i will uh give a quick shout out to sci-fi channel winona erp season four starts tomorrow night sunday july 26th if anybody here i'm a huge winona erp fan I've, I've loved the show since it started and i'm so excited to see this fourth season coming out starting tomorrow awesome so it will be a good rewatch when there's nothing brand new i i have this fear of yeah, running out of things Mark to, to watch sooner or later there won't be anything fresh <laughs> i i definitely want to go back and rewatch it i, I rewatched the last two episodes of season three just to remind myself of where we're we were at the other day, and uh, that may be something Mark and I may have to negotiate about uh, hmm. here in the, in the coming months when when uh, content begins to lag. Well, the boys will be coming out eventually. Yeah, the boys is coming out in September, and I know we'll we'll be covering that. Of course, Umbrella Academy. We've already talked about that, and mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, there's this exciting stuff. The Old Guard is a movie on Netflix. It was based on a graphic novel. Yep. Also, mm-hmm. uh, I've heard good things about that movie. Same here. Steve, I have an idea. Yeah. On your podcast, Deep Dives with Steve, you could do one on Earth. There you go. You are set. You really, you're on this thing about me doing my own. Uh, look, look, I, I got things. I got things. I got things. Yeah. He's got stuff and things. Leave him alone. I just like the name. It's catchy. Uh, so with the uh, towards the end of these podcasts, we usually go into podcast recommendations, and I want to start off. I have to say we have to go back, Lost Revisited, with uh, Ben and Kristen on the Next Level Podcast Radio Online Network, and it's uh, shared and joint with Podcastica. So check out Ben and Kristen as they go back and revisit Lost. And uh, I want to jump in on this one, Mark, because they just announced, if you didn't see it, House Podcastica has been covering Cobra Kai. They just finished up season one. And mm-hmm. what they're going to do now is they are going to cover Karate Kid Part 2, the movie, and mm-hmm. then they're going to wait until the end of August when Season 2 is available, when Season 1 and 2 of Cobra Kai are available on Netflix to restart their Cobra Kai uh, podcast. So the actual Season 2 podcast won't start until the end of August. Oh, okay. That's cool. But even still, they could always cover all the other Karate Kid yeah. movies that are out there. You have two, they got three, and they got that other one with... Uh, Hillary Swank. Hillary Swank, yeah. The next Karate Kid. And there Kid. was the reboot. No, we don't talk about that here. <laughs> that which oh, will with, not yeah, be... With, with Will Smith's kid, with Will Smith's kid, and... Uh, and I, I never even saw that one, either. man. I don't... So, uh, what do you guys have to mention about podcasts? Do you uh, recommend any podcasts that are out now currently that you're listening to? I think Kat has some. She seems to be listening to a lot of them lately. I am, and I'm so prepared that I'm scrolling through my list right now. (laughs) Okay, here's a silly one. I've been loving this one lately. (laughs) Not sci-fi related, not panels related, but it's called... Um, a hot dog is a sandwich. And they just debate really weird, silly things about food. And there's one, um, beach too sandy, water too wet. And that's just two people reading 
different reviews of places. And they, they pick a category, like amusement parks, and they kind of do it in a dramatic way. And if you just want something to get your mind off of anything serious, news, or, you know, love sci-fi, we love the gory stuff, but sometimes you just need, like, some popcorn podcasts to listen to. And those are two just light, funny, weird ones. You gotta laugh at times when you listen to people talk. Yeah. It's always fun. And it's very <laughs> conversational. I mean, I like that. I'm working. It's like hanging out with some friends and talking. Like you guys. Exactly. So if there are no more of those, we will continue on to YouTube recommendations. I only have a couple right now. One would be Decker Shadow, and he does horror movie reviews, and he's been on for years. He, he This summer is the summer of Saw for him, so <laughs> he has this whole thing. He's very he's very talented in what he does because uh, it's just like he's very flamboyant. He knows how to present everything, and he's uh, he's got a good humor to him in my opinion. He has a ton of content out there too, not just about the soft films, but other films that you would get into, even really bad. If you guys are into the bad B horror movies like me, you'd probably get a, a chuckle out of it as he rips them apart or just talks funny about them. So I, I recommend Decker Shadow and then uh, Minty Comedic Arts. And Minty gives a lot of information about movies. So he does a lot of things like 10 Things You Did Not Know About Groundhog's Day, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, all these odd movies. And it's pretty funny, too, because these are things that I've never even heard of about these particular movies. Like, oh, this person was originally in line to play this particular character, those things. So Minty comes from Australia, loves those films. Uh, he just put up one recently, or it was a re-upload because it got flagged for copyright. I don't know why, but he changed it around. So it's an older one, but it's about Beetlejuice. And I thought... Yeah, you know, it was oh, pretty cool great. to see who could have originally played Beetlejuice and not Michael Keaton. No so one else could have. I suggest and recommend that. It's hard to imagine anyone but Michael Keaton playing that part. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no one could. Well, it's so, kind of like Die Hard, like <laughs> Richard Gere was considered for the lead role in Die Hard. Oh, that would have been horrible. Among among many other actors uh, that were before Bruce Willis was cast in that. Or 48 Hours with Clint Eastwood and Richard Pryor. Oh my God. <laughs> That's originally who it was, but Clint Eastwood turned it down from a, for to do Escape from Alcatraz. Uh, that was a better choice. Yeah. So... I mean, for him, yeah. for Clint. That was a good choice for Sometimes him. He didn't call me. and ask me, but I think it was a good choice. Exactly. So with that, that's, that's pretty much all we have at the end. So I think we've come to our end. Uh, how could people get in touch with us, Steve? Well, gosh, you know, we love to have feedback for our, our episodes. We don't get a lot of it, but we really do love it when it comes in. So you can send, you can submit feedback to us on our Facebook page, which is just Panels to Pixels, uh, which is uh, facebook.com slash Panels to Pixels. You can uh, hear us on all your normal, I'm not going to go through them. You guys know what players what podcast players are out there we're on just about all of them i think uh you can find us panels to pixels just search for it if it comes up with some other weird logo that's not ours it's not us but anyway you can check out our website at www.panelstopixelspodcast.com we also have an email address which is another great way for people to get in touch with us which is panels to pixels one at gmail.com that's panels to pixels one the to is spelled out right there in the middle and the number one at gmail.com. And, you know, if you want to call us, we'd love to hear your voice on a phone call. I don't know. You know, it's there's no long distance charges anymore. Who uses a <laughs> landline? Pick up your cell phone. 
whatever, call 845-350-2095. Again, you know, that's 845-350-2095. Lob us a telephone call, man. Let you go old school. Find a payphone. Yeah. Pay, find yeah, a payphone. Reach out and touch someone. Drop a quarter in. You know, it'll give you 60 <laughs> seconds or 30 seconds. And, and record us a, a message there at 845-350-2095. And we are on YouTube. Yes, we just talked about YouTube, but we are on YouTube as well. You can search for us, Panels to Pixels. Uh, give us a thumbs up, subscribe, whatever. There's another thing out there that's close to us, but it's not us. So if you see and it's not our logo... <laughs> You know, it's not us. Panels to Pixels, man. It's easy. Yep, Panels to Pixels podcast, people. All you have to do is search for that. Just put that in your search engine. Uh, you can actually see Steve and I on our 100th episode on YouTube physically. You know, you're not just hearing us, hearing voices and just a big picture. So you could actually see myself. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> but you could actually see us physically on our microphones talking to the comic book men on our 100th episode so check that out eventually i i would think this week i will also be releasing some outtakes which would be the first 20 minutes of just us talking casually with mike and ming so i've seen it folks it's quite funny and very cool it is it's fun very cool so mark where can people hear you besides here uh, that's pretty much it, right here. So, <laughs> unless you call, that's uh, all you know. I uh, listeners, I I have left uh, talk through media. So basically, I'm here. This is my main thing, and I will be doing the same thing as Steve and submitting some feedback to other podcasts as well. Maybe if I'm invited onto something, I'll appear later on on somebody else's. Not sure. Not don't know. We'll find out. But right now, you hear me right here on Panels to Pixels, and you'll hear some of my feedback either read on another podcast or my voice if I do submit some sort of You can always now. talk to Steve about guest hosting on Deep Dives <laughs> with Steve. <laughs> on Deep Dives with Steve. You really, this is really something you, you're really excited about. I, I'm I really am. Glad. I want to see um, you do it. Hey, yeah. folks. You'll be great. <laughs> you can hear me uh, right here, as always, on Panels to Pixels when I'm not on vacation. But other than that, I send voicemails to various other podcasts. And I am working with another podcast on this network, the Next Level Podcast Network, to be on them as a special guest. And we'll see if that happens here in the next couple of weeks. But stay tuned for that. Awesome. Daphne, Kat, what do you guys got? Well, I don't know. I think I'm going to start yeah. sending in feedback. And yeah. Old school. Get that payphone. Get, yeah. you know, reach out and touch someone like Steve, like like Mark said. <laughs> I am super stoked to hear you guys cover the Umbrella Academy. And I'm also excited to hear you guys talk about Snowpiercer when it comes back. Because it really was because of this show that I got interested in the show and loved it right from the beginning. So really appreciate that, guys. Well, a big thank you to Kat and Daphne for joining us tonight on Panels to Pixels. Thank you so much. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to share before we sign off? Yeah, you've done an excellent job with this. What a great show. And you know what I'm looking forward to. No problem. Deep Dives with Steve. <laughs> As you, as you. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean it that way at all. Deep dives with Steve. <laughs> Sounds dirty. Sounds a little dirty. So you know? as unorthodox as this podcast <laughs> was tonight. <laughs> I thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm Mark. I'm Steve. 
And this was Panels to Pixels. And we'll see you on the next panel. Good night, everybody.